Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Welcome back to Fertile Minds Radio. I'm so excited to be here today with our guest, Adriana Lozada. She is such an amazing person uh, and and kind of a force in the birth world. And like so many mothers, she really had a stark difference before and after her baby when it comes to describing her life. And her credentials are just over the moon incredible. She co-founded a newspaper and a media company in Venezuela. Uh, she was named one of CNN's Latin American leaders in 2000. She speaks five languages. And while all of this is impressive, we know that the most difficult job is actually raising a child. And thank God for the rest of us that she had a child because it really seemed to ignite something in her. Um, she has gone on to create this kind of remarkable brand. She has a podcast, Birthful. If you don't know about it, you should hop on and listen, even if you're not pregnant yet. It's just filled with so much information from things like delayed clamping to postpartum depression to labor positions. It's just, I, I send my patients there on a daily basis to really get their evidence-based and um, practical-based evidence to use in their own pregnancies and births. And aside from that, she's also a birth doula. She has a teenager. She's a postpartum educator. She's a child sleep consultant. And she's even created some amazing online courses that you can find at birthfulcourses.com. And one of them is called Thrive, and it's absolutely amazing. It's about how to figure out the baby that you have been blessed with. She's written, co-authored a book with Anna Maria Simon. And I don't know, I think we should ask her what else she's got on deck. So welcome to the show, Adriana. Oh my God, thank you so much. When you put it all, lay it all out, I'm like, I'm exhausted just listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we always think as women, we haven't done enough. But when someone else reads our bio, we're like, who is that woman, right? Right? Yeah, no. And thank you for all the, I'm feeling the love and the appreciation. um, And it's nice to recognize that in each other's. Because like you said, we do a lot of hard work and, and being moms is the first one for sure. It is. But, you know, producing a weekly podcast is no joke either. It's like a little mini college paper, I feel like, every week. And and so Birthful has been going in December. It's going to be four years that I've been doing that on a weekly basis, which is insane. Wow. But it's been a fabulous learning opportunity for me. Like really, I, I am totally a birth junkie, birth nerd, love to learn, soak it all up. And it was, I created my own ongoing conference with birth professionals where I get to, I am so lucky I get to decide who I want to talk to and pick their brains, ask them my questions and learn from it. And then have that unique perspective of connecting all their knowledge to then turn it around and, and craft it into something for my, my doula clients and, and the postpartum uh, parents that I help um, with their, you know, their life with the newborn. So it's, it just, it's a pipeline that just keeps going. I love it. I feel the same way. That was really part of the impetus of starting this podcast for me was like this amazing carrot dangling that I got to talk to all of the people that I 
respect and <laughs> someday wanted to meet, right? Like all these amazing authors and doctors and the fertility world. And it is such a blessing that we get to connect with them week after week, but then also to, you know, touch all these people that we'll never meet either on the face of this planet. So hats exactly. off to you. Oh, you too. Is- <laughs> That's a while. You're in it to win it for sure. Oh, and you too. I'm so excited that you're doing this too, because we need more information out there. So thank you for joining this craziness of podcasting. Well, I wanted to bring you on because I feel like there's a lot of confusion in the US, maybe not in other countries where doulas are um, commonplace in the delivery room, but it's, and it's, well, it's certainly gotten better, I would say, in the last decade. Um, though when I first started out, people were like, what's the, what is this word, doula? <laughs> um, I, you are the go-to person that just has so much experience and in terms of what you're bringing to the education world. And I wanted to really have you shed some light on why a couple might want a doula, why they may not, how to decide, and what exactly, you know, if you could just define for an audience, what does a birth doula do and not do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I have been a doula for, a, it'll be 13 years in January. Um, and I have seen what you're talking about of people going, well, do what? You're a what? I don't know what a doula is. And when I find people who don't know what a doula is, I get really excited because it's the opportunity to open the door to this continuously growing field, right? That's so vital and important. So I, having said that, though, I have seen a radical change in the past 13 years or 12 years on people's understanding of a doula and then the proliferation of doulas and different types of doulas. So we have usually when we say doula, we think of a birth doula, but there are also postpartum doulas. There are fertility doulas. There are end of life doulas. There are, you know, at its core the profession is one of support, supporting you through a really intense experience that's going to shake you body, mind, spirit, the whole thing, like birth. Um, and, and and I'm sure a lot of the people of, of your listeners would say, like going through getting pregnant and fertility process, right? That right. just takes you to your edge. So if we wanted to have the the traditional definition of a doula is is a person who provides continuous support from the onset of labor until after baby is born and that support is physical emotional and informational um which is kind of like a dry <laughs> definition right that's why i wanted your definition <laughs> <laughs> that's really a dry definition and then i go like you know but we're really just birth fairies um i like that <laughs> i like that and it's birth fairies with research to back us up, right? So then you get like there are Cochrane reviews um, on the benefits of having doulas. And it states that having doulas, you know, the research shows that it can shorten labor, decrease needs for and for analgesia, so pain meds, um, fewer needs for cesareans, fewer reports of dissatisfaction with the experience labor. So regardless of how it goes, you will probably have a better experience having a doula there. Um, less likely to have, I said cesarean, also a period of deliveries. So like forceps or vacuums. And it's not just for you. It's also for your newborn. Newborns tend to have better APGAR scores. Um, and there's a higher chance of you having a spontaneous vaginal birth. So 
all kinds of good stuff of having a doula, so much so that in the past, mm, since 2014, ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, have come out with two position papers, one on the safe prevention of the primary cesarean delivery. That was 2014. And primary cesarean just means the first one you ever have, as opposed to a repeat cesarean. So how to prevent that first one. Um, they had a paper with different recommendations, and one of them was continuous labor support. So a doula is mm -hmm. one way you can prevent having a cesarean. And then in 2017, more recently, they came out with a paper on approaches to limit interventions during labor and birth. And once again, doulas were recommended. So you have ACOG recommending doulas now. And, I, and, and going back to that initial question of nobody knew what a doula is and what, how things are changing. Now you have these big organizations seeing the value of doulas. And I find that really exciting. That is exciting. Or, you know, even for those doulas out there that I've talked to, I, I've only, I've done a smattering, maybe like close to 20 births before I had children where I would do acupuncture for pain relief. And I can say in the that short window, I noticed a, a difference in the reception from the physicians, you know, of like, oh, there's a doula here too. Oh, thank God you're here. Yeah. That was really exciting to see um, that they were, you know, they're now being welcomed in because I, I, I have had patients say to me before, like, I'm not sure if they're, if my provider will want me to have a doula. And I think sometimes, and this is just a gross generalization in my observance, I don't have any science to back it up, but sometimes I find that women and couples who've gone through IVF seem to maybe have, um, more compliance with the Western medical system, shall we say, because of their indoctrination of like, you will take this and you will do what I say, and this kind of authoritative um, hierarchy. And they're, they're a little reluctant to like bring in this other per person that's not their partner as if they have to explain that to their provider. Have you noticed anything like that? Well, so I find that in terms of the misconceptions of what a doula does and doesn't do, right? Um, there is this idea that doulas are only for natural births, and some people even think they're just for home births. And the truth is doulas are helpful and support all kinds of births, from home births to scheduled cesareans and everything in between. Um, and it, because we adapt to your specific circumstances, it's such a cater to you and your what's going on with you um, and, and, and your birth wishes, what the type of experience that you want to have. I always say that my goal is to have you have the best birth experience you can have, however you define it. So in that sense, if we take it back to what is happening with, a, a, you know, a couple that might have gone undergone fertility um, or had a harder time getting pregnant and required some more interventions for that. Um, there is that idea of like you were saying of kind of giving a bit of your birthing power away because you don't have that much. And I am generalizing now, right? But you don't have your, the, your, the trust that you have in your body has maybe been eroded a little bit mm -hmm. because it's required a team of other people to come in and help this happen. So it's hard to then turn around and go like, but I know what I'm doing. 
right? Right. I've never birthed, <laughs> but I know this baby's going to come out and I know exactly what to do, right? Now that right. confidence and is a bit shattered. It's tough. So doulas can really help with that. But I find that this is not exclusive to people who have gone fertility treatments that culturally, if we're going to get really deep in this, culturally in the Western world, we have a kind of a very, how we treat pregnant people, we almost infantilize them because it's the only time in your life where it's sort of your your autonomy and human rights are kind of stripped a little bit. And I know it sounds like I'm being like overly dramatic, but suddenly people have a say on what you eat, how you move, when you do what, what tests we're going to do on you. Like there's this idea that you are no longer only to yourself. Right. Yeah. I've seen that too. You're not calling the shots we are, like that fear-based. Yeah. And and nobody's really explaining that you have absolute, you have the right to inform consent and refusal <laughs> to everything that is proposed. And then you get into things like, well, the words that we use, that's how you can recognize that it's a cultural structure because it's they didn't let me or I'm not allowed to eat this or, you know, they weren't letting me go past 42 weeks. Who's they that they're not letting you like that already? That sentence creates a hierarchy and it means that you were not taken into account for the decision making. It wasn't that somebody sat down with you and said, hey, Hillary, so this is happening with your baby and this is what we're concerned about. Um what our recommendation would be this, what do you think? As opposed to like, hmm, this is looking not so great. Um, Let's schedule your induction for next week. Right. That just that last little bit of what do you think and empowering the woman to actually be part of that conversation or the couple to be part of that conversation as well. That's huge. And it unfortunately doesn't happen as often as it should. Huge. So I think it's not only, I don't want to put this only on the birthing person or the pregnant person, regardless of how they became pregnant. I want to make sure we understand that it's a systemic cultural thing, that it's not, well, you didn't stand up for yourself. It's You're, you're fighting a system um, and, and, and very deeply ingrained in our minds. So, and, and, and I don't want to say that doulas are like, <laughs> We are going to be there uh, to create antagonism and defend you no matter what. We will defend you no matter what. But it's not the idea is to make sure that it's the focus of the birth is centered on you and everybody on your team is there to serve you so that then you have that great experience as you defined it. And if your idea is, you know, I just... I want my doctor to decide everything and that's what's that's what's gonna make me feel the best. It's like I'm a hundred percent behind that. You know, I'm a hundred percent behind whatever you decide. And if you change your mind, I'm a hundred percent behind that. But as doulas, we give you information so that you can make those informed choices. Um and I think another huge thing that we do, and it sounds so simple, but we hold space. And by that I mean that we create those little moments so that you can take two seconds to think about something. So if in your birthing and somebody said, you know, in your, well, I'm I'm trying to think of an example, but that somebody said, you know, baby, 
this is not progressing as quickly as we'd like, I think we better give you some Pitocin. And I know, being your doula, that you said on your birth plan that you did not want Pitocin. And we had talked about this before and you had, you had your informed, you know, you made your informed decision. So then I would say, did you have any questions about that? How do you feel about this? Do you, do you want to know more? And it's that holding space, right? I didn't speak for you. I didn't decide anything, but I just created a, a, a little container where then you have a little bit of that power back to you to be part of the decision making and decide what you, if you're okay with it or no, as opposed to just having something done to you. Because as a, so having done this, I've, I've assisted, I've been supportive in a way over close to 150 births. And I, no matter what the circumstances, I know that how there is a big difference between feeling that the experience happened to you and things were done to you as opposed to the fact that you decided and you, you know, walked into that cesarean room or you said, you know, you called it. There's a big, that's going to shift how you parent. That's going to shift how you consider yourself a parent. That's going to take, you know, it's going to stay with you forever in your life. I love that. I, and I think it's so true. And it's one of those things that how can you possibly know that in the moment without being educated ahead of time with things like this? Um, and I love that philosophy because I have seen or I've, I've heard stories sometimes too about where someone had a doula and they just spoke for them. And you're not doing that. You're, you're, allowing, you're creating that buffer and that space for the couple to then empower themselves to make the decision. And I think that that's so important. So how would you, for our listeners that are maybe considering a doula, how, what questions should they ask to find someone like yourself that is really there purely supportive and not in a way to, you know, I don't know, further their own (laughs) Their own agenda, agenda or their, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of like all natural or bust, right? Because there right. are times where we have to, you know, we can see the writing on the wall that this is not going as planned and we want the, the couple to choose and we don't want to just put our shackles up and fight the doctor, right? Like, so how does a couple know what doula is going to do that and which one's not? Yeah. And also when you were saying that, I'm like, and it's so important that your doula dude or anybody in the room do, doesn't become antagonistic because then that is actually hindering the physiological flow of birth because it's bringing your adrenaline up instead of having your oxytocin hormones flow, which is what you need for contractions. So like that's an intervention, like bringing anger or anxiety into the birthing room is an intervention. And I wish everybody, including a lot of providers, understood that. Right. Because then the, the, you know, as a woman too, I think so many of us like want to make things okay. Like we're, we're, we want everybody to play nice and we're, we're the big pregnant one stuck in the middle. Right. And it, you know, thank God I haven't heard that often, but I have unfortunately heard that a couple of times and it's, um, yeah, I'm just curious about how to help couples navigate finding the perfect doula for them. Yeah. So I, the key words there are the perfect doula for them. There is a doula out there for everybody, but I'm not the doula for everybody. So yes, it's great that a doula have 
definitely, you know, accreditation. It's great that a doula have uh, years of experience or not. Like it, all of those things are important, but the most important thing is how you feel and click with that person. Right. So just as how you would interview for a provider, if there's red flags, then that person's not the best fit for you. You know, keep look for others. Um, Having and and, and some doulas are certified, some doulas are trained, some doulas are are just just have had experience with birth without having a, a certification. So there's lots of options. I personally... I am a Dona certified doula and I have been, I trained with Dona and I have been, um, I just recertified for the third time. So I appreciate having a big organization behind me that has standards of practice and code of ethics is what we have, um, Dona has. And so that kind of sets some standards as to how a Dona certified or donor trained doula will practice. And part of it is that, you know, there's, there's, there's a scope of practice. And in that sense, you speaking for a client and deciding for them is out of scope, for example. So in a way, having a donor doula kind of guarantees to an extent that that that's not going to happen, that your doula is not going to speak for you. So that would be like an easy way to start looking for doulas is going to the donor website. But there are other certifying organizations um, and you can, they have different fi- you know, uh, directories of their doulas. So you can read about the organization and see if what their training is resonates with you and then go from there. It's great to have recommendations from other people around you who have had a great doula. Um, also, parenting classes or childbirth education classes will probably be able to recommend doulas and your provider. And if you have a provider who says, oh, you know, that you find that they're not so thrilled with having a doula, ask them more why. Because I always say, doulas, we have the absolute luxury that we do not do anything medical. And because we don't have any medical responsibilities, then we can focus completely and absolutely on the birthing person and their partner if there is one. So we answer primarily to you 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 hire us. We don't belong to the hospital staff. Usually there are some hospital-based doula programs, but independent doulas um, answer only to you. So that creates a dynamic of, you know, who, who, who do you answer to, right? And ACOG is recommending that you have a doula, that they can be really helpful support. So if your provider is like, mm, I don't know about doulas, I would dig deeper. I think that's excellent advice. And especially with the DONA, because their credentialing is outstanding. I mean, they have the um, distance learning, but then you're also required to go to weekend courses and learn and do, um, you practice, not necessarily at a live birth, right? But with- you, Well, you do. In order, when you train, after training, you have to, in order to certify, you have to assist in births and you have to get valuations from both the, the birthing person and from care providers and then you submit those and 
every time you recertify and then read a ton of books and you know learn tons and then every time you're recertified you have to have a certain number of uh, education credits in order to recertify so you need to continue learning and keep yourself up to date into what's happening in the birth world okay so if you're listening and you think that you might want to explore one that's a great place to start is dona.org and you can hopefully find a doula near you um, yeah. Doulamatch.net is also a good place and they do doulas from everywhere. It's okay. a, it's an independent um, directory. Okay. So how early in a pregnancy should a couple seek one out ideally? Because I have some patients that will like show up for maybe they're concerned about a breech baby or being overdue. You know, they don't want that cesarean and they're in their, you know, they're in their fourth trimester. Is that too late? Will you take on clients that later? Like, do you prefer to meet with them earlier? What's what's ideal? Yeah. So it's never too late to get a doula, but the earlier you can do it, the more benefits you will gain from it. So having said that, so I like personally, um, when people contact me early on, like around... 12 to 20 weeks because the way I structure my prenatal. So I talked about doulas doing, you know, continuous support during labor, but there's a relationship that needs to be formed ahead of time. So usually um, doulas in my area, because I don't want to generalize, do two prenatals. And like my prenatals are an hour and a half each. So we sit down for an hour and a half and go over what type of birth you would like to have, what's important to you, what fears you have, what, what, you know, what are you doing right now to support your pregnancy in terms and doing things that will help during labor, right? Um, And what circumstances do we need to know about in terms of medical history? So I give homework, (laughs) because I find that there's things you can be doing during pregnancy that can help your labor, um, make it easier and more and flow better and have you support your physiology. So that's why I like 12 to 18 weeks. But I've also have clients that have hired me. We haven't had a prenatal and then they went early and um, we're in the laboring room signing papers and it still makes a huge difference for them. So that's why I say it's never too late. To hire a doula. Okay. And, it, you know, I, I too, like, I mean, I'd only ever been present in births where it was a, a woman that I had known for some time. Like, I had helped her through fertility treatments. And so there was that very much that longstanding relationship, which I think is really helpful in the room when things arise because you, you can tell by their body language and what they're doing, like, kind of where they're at almost immediately. And it's, it's such an intimate honor to be in that room and to be with that couple that I do think that sometimes you, you just, you really want to know that doula first, right? <laughs> yeah. But I don't want not, I don't want anybody to be out there to thinking like, oh, now it's too late. I didn't get a doula and I, you know, I'm due next week and I haven't gotten a doula. You still have time. Okay. I, I've heard you say before, if birth is not linear and the body cares little about stages, stations, and centimeters, why do we continue to use this medical language to define and describe a physiological process? Can you explain a little bit about your philosophy on nonlinear birthing and just kind of maybe plant that seed for anybody that's listening? Because I think yes. it's so important. It's so important. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, 
birth is physiological. Birth is something your body does. But it's physiological, right? But then the way we talk about it and the way we measure it and the way we communicate about it is all in a very external observation milestone medical way. Like if you describe, if you ask somebody like what happens during birth, it, it's, well, you have the first stage of labor and then the second stage of labor and third stage of labor and you have active labor and, you know, you, you dilate and you get to, like, how does it progress? The cervix has to move and it has to dilate and it has to efface and it opens up and then you go into the pushing stage and all that. Your body could care less about any of that. Seriously could care less. That's all information that is important to the care providers because you are paying them a lot of really good money to make sure things don't derail. So that's their purview. That's what they have to focus on. Okay. But then what you have to focus on is on supporting your physiology and supporting your hormones and supporting the birthing process. If you do that, I find that birth is definitely not linear. And that's why you have a labor that maybe, you know, gets to, they get to the hospital and there's a vaginal check and the birthing person is three centimeters. And then two hours later, there's a baby, but it took them 20 hours to get to that three centimeters. Like it just does its own thing or not, or it might just stall at seven for a while and then disappear and then come back the next day. I don't see that so much in hospitals because if you're ha- if that's happening in a hospital, then intervention starts. Whereas in a home birth, you see more of this labor starting and stopping and, and physiology supporting your, because it is a mind-body connection, supporting what's going on with your life. So for example, you'll have like a second time mom that is having contractions all night. And then in the morning, they kind of stop and she makes breakfast and gets her other kid off to school. And all during that whole time, labor stopped. And then kid gets on the bus and leaves and then contractions will start again. And it'll keep going until the afternoon. And then kid comes back from school and contractions stop and they stop for dinner, stop the whole thing. And then, you know, in the middle of the night, pop, all heck breaks loose and baby is born immediately. Yes. It's amazing <laughs> when that happens, when you're fortunate enough to see that in a, a home where the, the body has been able to just do its own thing. It's- do its own thing. And and and, and your body's not going to betray you in that sense. Like, it, so... It is very hormonal and you will not birth in a situation where you feel, you feel fear, where you're not feeling safe, secure, protected and cared for. So if at any moment something's going on where you, your body goes like, hmm, it's not a birthing environment, we can't birth right now, it'll slow or shut down. And you need to create the environment that makes it happen. So that's why I say it's linear and there's physiological stuff that you support. Um, and, and, and at the same time, you've got, usually it's like, okay, there's these stages and there's this dilation that happens and then you switch to pushing stage. But don't worry at all about that. Birth is physiological. You just trust your intuition, trust your body, you know what to do. Yeah, because I've seen moms mark there like, okay, just get somebody to check me and then I'll know that I'm doing it right. Right. But the thing is, well, that and that speaks perfectly to what I was saying is like this whole, we have this dichotomy of like, it's all these things, but don't worry about that. Your body's going to know what to do. And I, I call that the trust your body nebula. 
because we usually don't trust our bodies, especially, you know, usually women tend to be too something, too fat, too old, too skinny, too young, too, you know, wrinkly, too never good enough. So we don't trust our bodies. And suddenly it's like, oh, no, just trust your body. You're no, that doesn't work either. So kind of what I do with my prenatals and um, um, I'm doing advanced doula workshops across the country teaching a new birth model that I created sort of that has four stages and it's like a physical, chemical, emotional, and mental. And that's where I assign homework for each of these things so that you can really have a a tangible way to support that physiology, not just, oh, trust your body. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It sounds so great. (laughs) But unless you've done the work, it's really hard. Like when you and I were talking about this, doing this episode, you know, you were mentioning that the skill set required for fertility and pregnancy and parenthood requires this deep shift away from that type A overachieving. And it's all well and good to understand that logically. But if you haven't practiced it, like if you haven't done these types of exercises like you're offering, it's just another thought. Well, right. And I find that, you know, being a the recovering type A myself, and you can't really like lose that completely. No. I still love no. lists and organization and, you know, tick all my boxes. Um, or podcasts would never happen. <laughs> right? Exactly. Every week. Never happen. Um, I, I, having, you know, having coming from that point of view, and, and, and so when I gave birth, my daughter's 13. When I gave birth, I was not a doula. I didn't know any of this. I was, my background was journalism and media. And so I attacked birth and pregnancy that way. And I just read everything and I just soaked up all the information. But the more I read, the more angry I got because I realized that the system didn't support the person doing the work, the birthing person, right? It's, the, it's, yeah, it's messed up and we, we, we know it's messed up. Right. So, yeah. Um, and that's why I became a doula to, to help at least one at that point with a newborn, help one couple at a time. And now I've done many other things, but I was a really, you know, successful type A that had all these mad skills that I was like, I got this. I've done, you know, I've created companies. I can birth a baby and, you know, take care of a newborn. I've got this no problem. And boy, did that ever hit me like a truck. Because as you were saying, the skills that we need to birth and take care of a newborn are not the skills that we usually value. So stuff like being effective, being organized, everything clean and tidy, um, you know, logical thinking brain. None of those things are the skill. None of those skills are the ones that are going to help you for birthing. For birthing and having a newborn and parenting, what you need is messiness, uncertainty, like, you know, time is everything takes forever. Um, You have trust your intuition. Like, how do you do your intuition? So, the way you tackle those skills, the way I've found is the best way for somebody who's more of a type A to tackle learning those skills is to apply type A structure to learning and developing those skills. Oh, I like that. I like so for example, and that's why I give my clients homework, because then when you're during birth and you have a vaginal check and you're 
after 20 hours, you're quote unquote, still three centimeters. That's a pivotal point that's going to derail physiology. Because if you look outside and start thinking and using your thinking brain, instead of going deep into your lizard brain, which is where birth happens and your hormones flow, then you're going to slow it down and then you're going to require interventions. So that's a pivotal moment. If if you got checked and you're three centimeters and you think, wait, what's wrong? Why isn't my body doing this? What do we need now? What's going to happen? And then you're in your thinking brain, off you went. So we do homework ahead of time, knowing that that's a pivotal moment and go like, wait, no, no. That's their purview. Your cervix does not care if you're three or 10. It's doing its thing. Just like, you know, when we eat, we're not going, oh, I ate two hours ago. Is this digested yet? Let me see. I should be pooping by in t- three hours. Like, we don't do that. It just happens. Um, and, and every time it's a little different, right? There's variations are normal. So same thing with birth. Right. So it's in the, like when you get a cold, nobody says like, oh, you're progressing through the stages properly. You're doing this right. <laughs> you know, you, you just, just be, do it. Yeah, you just do it. Yeah, it's yeah. Different every time. Different every time. So that's what I mean by applying type A stuff. We know that that's a pivotal moment. And what you have to do is instead of going out and f- finding validation of that you're doing it right or what to do next outside, the answers are in your body if you just you know, trust your body, but that means like support your physiology, get your oxytocin to continue to flow and go deeper into labor land and not go out to the process. So that's when, you know, many times I've had a quote unquote disappointing three centimeter, two centimeter vaginal check happen when you were like, but we're at the hospital. I thought I was ready. And we've talked about this already. And the birthing person looks at me and I just wave my, you know, I go like, just don't worry about it. And they go, all right, take a deep breath and go deep in. And then in a few hours, there's a baby. Yes. We have to get you to Tampa Bay, to the Tampa Bay birthing network. So, you know, if any of those people on the board are listening, I'm vying to get you down here to teach your method because I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. No. And it, 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 so then it's breaking it down to that physical, chemical, mental, and emotional. Yeah. That is the four aspects of the birthful model. Yes. Okay. And so I give homework for each one. So we take down, like we deconstruct physiology and I have a birth atlas and I show it and I like, look what your body is doing and how the getting to 10 is not a time to push. That's just the doors opening. The right. baby's head has to like rotate and extend first. So anyways, there's tons of information that once you know it, you're like, ah, oh, this makes total sense. I'm in my body. I can feel it. Nobody knows more about you and your body and your baby than you. Seriously. No, I agree a thousand percent. And, and not just around pregnancy, around everything, but we've somehow been tricked out of that connection that it doesn't belong to us anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not true. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. That's what we're doing. That's why that we're taking it back. And and it is so much more satisfying from birth to birth from that place because I it's so, like I have a whole podcast on rethinking the pushing stage because truthfully you you the person doesn't really have to push. Like the pushing happens between the baby has to rotate and extend and get into alignment and the uterus has to contract. Um, and you support the hormones and then that creates the good, strong contractions, which create a fetal ejection reflex, like fetal ejection reflex. Your baby shoots out. <laughs> I'm not making this up. There is a whole like 
your body's got this, right? So learning about that is so empowering. But then why do you think that people catch babies? You catch them because they fetal ejection reflex push out. Right. Um, so in that sense, it, you know, reconsidering everything and, and, and learning these things gives you almost an inside knowledge because and and they haven't caught up yet and i think this is it i don't know what will happen when they catch up but so far the usually the medical providers don't think you can have a baby without pushing and if that's the case then they kind of leave you alone and then then suddenly it's like baby's right there oh my god she's pushing and it has a baby in 15 minutes <laughs> and then there you are treated like you should as the super rock star goddess because they're all like did you see what you did you were amazing did you i wish everybody would birth this way did you see and that's how you're born into being a mother oh yeah you've got it all from uh, there on out right (laughs) so strength and confidence as opposed to like a really long four-hour pushing that was you're exhausted when you meet your baby so yeah. And I do think that that's something that's wildly overlooked is the how your birth affects the way you parent or the way you think about your abilities to parent. And you talk about that a lot in your your courses and you have some pretty magnificent insight into that something you call the pregnancy hangover. Yeah. <laughs> the pregnancy hangover. Pregnancy hangover is so during while you're pregnant, everything's about you and you are glowing. You are like we use words like this. You're glowing. You're you're um, exuberant. You're, you know, everybody, they give up your their seats for you. Right. right? They open doors for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All about you. You know, everybody bends over backwards for you. And then the baby is born. And you are, somebody said it's like, it's like a candy, you know, the baby's the candy and you're the wrapper. It's like, (laughs) that's so harsh, right? But it's like tossed to the side because then it's all about the baby. Right. And during pregnancy, your body is, let's be honest, hijacked by baby and you gladly do so. And, and every, you know, you literally give over all your systems and blood volume and all you know everything changes to accommodate your baby and you shut down your um the placenta takes over your hormonal directions and like so much happens and you gladly do that and you think okay once the baby's out then I'm not going to start having my body back a bit but no because the way we are as mammalians um we're closer to kangaroos in terms of our development we should have pouches um in terms of how the the content of our milk is in terms of fat and and thickness and protein and fa- it it is not meant to last long separations and that's why babies want to eat all the time and because they're born with such immature systems they do need to be held and skin to skin literal skin to skin having them on your chest with just like a diaper on helps regulate their nervous system and their breathing and their temperature so then you get this thing of like you are being overtouched and undervalued and that's the pregnancy hangover yes i, I 
I've heard one of my patients describe it as feeling like a topless refugee the first four weeks of postpartum because it was just like she wanted to do everything in terms of breastfeeding, but it doesn't stop. And it is, you know, you have to get over that hump a little bit that it's somewhat thinkless. Um, I mean, your, your child's not even smiling at that point, right? So like in terms of external cues, if you've got a baby that's crying a lot, you're not even sure you're doing it quote unquote right at first, Mm. right? Yeah. They're taking, 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 taking. It's a very, yeah, one way relationship at that point. But you've created this course that's designed to be done ahead of time before you birth um, so that you can thrive during this process, right? So that you can understand, like you go into it with some tools about how to decode the baby that you've been granted. Well, and I think it's it's all about setting realistic expectations. Um, And if you're a type A, approaching things a little differently. And and it goes back to that skill set that we were talking about. So the course that I created is called Thrive with Your Newborn. Uh, it's an online postpartum preparation class. It's five weeks. You can do it under your own pace, but you, you get all the information right away. But it's structured, ideally, to be taken over five weeks. It's like eight and a half hours of video. And it does spread it out. Like first week is about baby newborn basics so understanding how baby what are baby's sleep needs and hunger needs and how what their rhythms are like and just understanding just baby behavior right because they don't talk so you need to figure out that and then the second week is understanding the baby you've got as opposed to the baby you had in your dreams <laughs> and yeah yeah, because that that can be a, a loud wake up and there can be a big disconnect there so Learning to spend hours observing your baby, they are communicating all the time, just non-verbally. So your baby tells you stuff. And then what to do if you have more of a fussy baby. Like there's there's a thing you can do about your baby's um, nine temperament traits. And it includes if they, you know, how they react, how overwhelmed they become, if they, you know, their general dispositions. So those nine traits, um, you can help it can help you try to identify what type of baby you've got right um and then from there it's like okay if you have this type of baby how does that match to the type of person you are ooh because yeah a relationship requires two people like if you have a baby that's super easy going and sleeps all the time but a parent that's really anxious guess what that parent's going to be up all night using a mirror to put it underneath the baby's nostrils <laughs> to see if they're breathing yes Right? Right. Yes. So that's not the best match. So like how to figure out what baby you've got, figure out what type of parent you are and how do those two come together. Um, So we do a lot of that in that second week. And also knowing if you have a fussier baby or a more high needs baby, how to help them and, and determine your response style as to that as well and how to help unwind your baby. We think that babies need a lot of stimulation and they don't. They barely know they're, they don't even know they're an eye. Like they don't know those hands are them. (laughs) There's just light, just being in the world is stimulating. So sometimes there can be too much stimulation and it can create more of extra fussiness. So how do you calm that baby? And then Week three is kind of catch up and basically basics like swaddling and burping and very, very hands-on stuff. 
And week four and five, then we move on to your recovery and your change from your identity change. Because I, so I say birth is, has to be such an enormous, insane physical event, event, because you need a physical representation of the earth shattering quake that is happening to your internal identity. You need a rite of passage to represent that change. Like forever you've been an I, and then after you have a baby, it's now and forevermore a we. Um, you know, mom used to always be your mom. Now it's you. What does that, you, you spend all your 20s, or I did, trying to find yourself. And then now all of that has to be, quote unquote, given away and you're transformed and you have a new self. Like it's big stuff. Yeah, no, really it's like the big. caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I feel like you literally turn into crystalline goo. Yeah. You reemerge and sometimes there's somebody around like acknowledging that and sometimes there isn't. And like, so how do you ritualize that for yourself so that it, you feel empowered? And and how if you were the type of person who did not value any of these skills before and needed checklists and to-dos and, you know, get things done, how are you going to prepare for a nonstop 24 hours, 24-7, around the clock, being at somebody else's beck and call and, it, quote unquote, doing nothing. And I used to get so infuriated because I just, I did nothing today. I just changed 10 diapers and fed a baby. <laughs> well, you sustained life. But, right. So, <laughs> so it requires that mental identity shift, right? Um Definitely. And all of that. And then also the, then the five week, the week five is about your relationship with your partner and how do you guys come together as a team rather than uh, be at each other's throats um, and and consider everybody's needs and figure out to fulfill them. And all of that is nicely encompassed in your creating a postpartum plan, which I think is even more important than a birth plan. I agree. And your so much and this postpartum i call it my postpartum vacation plan and this yeah this gives you a little bit of insight into how the course is structured because so we tend to not be really good at doing nothing (laughs) just right we tend to we need things done it can be anxiety producing and to be like messy and disorganized and sleep at and awake at all hours but i find that in general in this culture, we tend to do vacation really well. Hmm. And what do you do, Hillary, when you're on vacation? I Well, I practice the first day calming myself so that I can be okay with doing nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'm good for like a week until the night before I have to go back to quote unquote real life. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, that mean part of my brain kicks in <laughs> about what it's going to be like, right? <laughs> Right. Exa- yeah, exactly. So do you clean? During vacation? Yes. 
No, but on a stage, I have scheduled a staycation to clean my house just for mental health. (laughs) Well, yes, very good. But on regular vacation, you don't clean, you don't, you don't do laundry, you usually don't cook. Other people create meals for you. You sleep in. You don't take care of pets or water plants. You leave work at work. Like all the things that you do to prepare for vacation. That's what I ask people to do. Like prepare your postpartum as a really weird vacation where the new thing that you're discovering is your baby and your new identity as parents. Yeah, I schedule self-care and I allow I give myself a hard pass on eating whatever is presented to me versus obsessing about mm-hmm. how it's going to affect my body or make me feel or you know any of those other programmed things. Yeah. Yeah. So I find that if you approach postpartum as a weird vacation, then it takes away so much of the anxiety of like, I'm not doing anything all that mental low craziness that is going to let you just sit and observe your baby for hours or just, you know, enjoy breastfeeding or figuring it out. Just giving yourself that space. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I agree, like so much emphasis is put on the the birth plan, which is important. And there are obviously questions that come up around that. There's, you know, sometimes couples sit down and they don't even know what some of those questions are referring to. But this is something that's really never talked about. And of course you need a plan. You've never parented before, right? Right. So what a great service that you've provided by breaking this down for all of our type Airs out there so we can feel like we're prepared going into it. And it's good for everybody. But I find that if you wait until you have the baby and you're sleep deprived and have the baby there, it's really hard to find the time to do it because you don't have time to even take a shower. No. Obviously. So doing it ahead of time, it's going to make you feel more confident. And, and the videos are there. You have lifetime access. So you can always then go back and review stuff. Oh, that's awesome because you will forget things, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and it's different than when you're experiencing it. When you think like, oh yeah, babies wake windows. They can only be awake. A newborn can only be awake for half an hour because before becoming overtired. And then like, wait a second, how long was that wake window? How long has this baby been up? You need help getting to sleep. That's beautiful. Well, and aside from creating this course, you've been very generous with our listeners. You've offered a 25% discount to anybody that is interested. And it's highly, highly recommended, Um, especially that last week, that fifth week of getting back together with your husband, because there is a crazy thing that happens. And I think that that needs to be addressed too. And that's a selling point for your partner as to why you need to take this course. Um, And that code for the discount is fertility in all caps. So thank you for what you are creating in the world. And taking the time to come on the show. And for four years, your your podcast is absolutely amazing. Um, if you haven't listened to it, it is Birthful Podcast. And if you had one piece of advice for our expectant couples, what would that be? Be curious. Ooh. Explore things with curiosity and see if you can bring joy and pleasure into the experience be it birth, be it pregnancy, be it postpartum instead of anxiety and fear. I like that. That might mm. be one of my favorite epi- my favorite answers so far. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your time. I know it's our, our most valuable asset. And thank you for to the listener. If you happen to be lucky in, in Rochester, New York, um, you can hire Adriana. She is available in that part of our country. You can meet her online through her courses at birthfulcourses.com. And you can always listen to her podcast on birthful.com or wherever you download your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing me to share all this information and have this wonderful talk and for all you do. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.